How you doing? Doing okay. How are you? Doing all right. Trying to uh, find the child labor law violation articles that I want to talk about today. Oh, they're on the website if they're the ones that you sent. Ooh, they probably are. I, I was doing that when you sent some other stuff <laughs> my way. <laughs> One of these days I need to switch my recording over to the new computer. Because this computer is getting slower and slower as we go. If you wiped that one, could it just be your recording com- computer, or you think it's not going to hold up? Uh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I bet there's a process for that, but I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't either. So, new computers. Steve, it turns out that this computer I've had since 2011. That's a long time ago. And yeah. <laughs> uh, computers are not designed to last that long. So, this computer has a different interface like the holes on the side of the computer are different than the holes on the side of the new computer yep so what i want to do is transfer stuff directly from this computer to the new computer but i can't do that without an adapter and uh flash drives so i need to get both of those things um didn't your wife have oodles of flash drives from trade shows probably i have yet to uh ask her about that. I keep forgetting. I bought the new computer. Oh, Steve. Let's talk about taxes to begin with. How about that? (laughs) A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent, and for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this, and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And I would like first to begin talking about taxes, because it is tax season. If you haven't done your taxes yet, do them. The more I learn about the tax system in the United States, the more I hate uh, living here. So (laughs) the government, this is trite, but I'm going to say it anyway. The government knows, the federal government knows, and the state government knows how much money you owe them in taxes for the year based on how much money you made during your job. And they go, we know how much you need to pay us. And we're like, cool, how much is it? And they're like, oh, no, no. You need to spend a bunch of money on a computer program or somebody, another human being, to tell you what that number is. Because we're not going to tell you because we're fucks. And then... You do that, you spend more money to find out how much money the government knows already that you owe them for taxes. Even if you've been having taxes taken out of your paychecks throughout the year, they still know how much money that should have been. And then at the end of that, they either say, oh, sorry, we took too much, here's some back, or hey, you didn't pay us enough, you need to pay us some now. And if you do any of that process wrong, you like go to fucking jail, right? I hate all of that. I don't know why there isn't just a one-click on ADP, which takes care of all of my payroll and taxes and shit like that anyway, where it just goes, here's what your tax bill is, here's what it should have been, make up the difference, or here's some money back, right? should be a fairly simple process. I think it's labyrinthine and disgusting like mortgages are (laughs) on purpose to make sure you make a mistake so that you get in trouble. We made enough money on the sale of our house last year, Steve, that we had to pay taxes this year. For the first time... I think I've, this is the first time I've ever had to pay taxes. It wasn't a lot, but I did have to pay. Like, I owed the federal government money during this tax season. It, that wasn't um, tax-free because it was your 
uh, your own home that where you lived? Homestead I, stuff? Somehow not. I don't. It, it either is the sale of the house and the purchase of the new house messed stuff up, or we just made too much money. I don't know which one it is. My <laughs> wife did take a new job this past year, and I get consistent raises every year. So there's also a chance that we just made too much money. I don't know. Yeah. I hate that. I hate I hate it when we owe money. <laughs> yeah. I always would intentionally, um, when I was getting a W-2, and Kayla does the same thing, put zero dependents down. So right. not even claim myself so that more money is taken out so that yeah. I don't get caught unawares at the end of the year. There's that. My wife and I are now seriously considering not having any tax money taken out, figuring out what we paid in taxes this year, and setting up a savings account for ourselves which will accrue interest to the tune of what those taxes would be so both of us setting our tax to just take zero out so we'll get a crap ton more money on the weekly and then setting a bunch of that aside in a savings account that is specifically for paying taxes at the end of the year and uh, nice. we might actually do that i don't know we'll see it feels like a lot of math up front yeah <laughs> well it's it's just going to be so disheartening then when you write that check at the uh you know when at the end of the year or whenever you might have to pay quarterly see that's where i mean you're dead right about it being so complicated and it's so that the rich people can get richer while we're all confused um, correct uh because you might have to pay quarterly to make sure that you don't fall behind and have to pay late payments i don't know how that works but yeah, i know I like know. if you're a self uh self-employed or if you own your own business then you you can't just pay taxes once a year you have to pay them throughout the year but i don't know if that's true for individuals or not because guess what i don't work for the irs so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well and that's the thing too like that whole thing is just an industry it's it's an it's an odd uh what i would say computer computer customer consumer anti-protection racket right like we're it it kind of feels like we're being tricked i've now reached an age where like i have to worry about fiber and taxes and i'm not excited about either of those things <laughs> when you said fiber i thought internet initially and then it clicked <laughs> that you were talking about dietary fiber uh correct and i would like to talk more about that in a bit Sorry, now I'm just trying to bring this up on my phone because you're doing excellent work on the website, but it's not organized the way my brain works, and I got confused in a hurry. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you ever want to get a hold of us or you have information that you think would be uh, good for the show, or if you want to see more detail about what we're talking about, Steve runs a, a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com where he and I are constantly texting back and forth and the like deep dive on that stuff always ends up in there. I'm looking for real surface level crap right now. <laughs> so I'm going back to the actual texts. Um, but if you do have other information that you want to get to us, the easiest way to get a hold of me is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com. I have an Instagram, which is Chef Ben Randall, and we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, although that shit keeps changing. And I yeah. don't monitor it that much. I don't know if you saw this, Steve, because you don't really do social media. Uh, a fellow named Craig out of Texas put up uh, yesterday on our Facebook group a picture of Khan from Wrath of Khan, the original Ricardo Montalban, wearing a green top hat, and it said Leprechaun underneath it, and it was amazing because it was St. Patrick's Day yesterday or Thursday, yes. one of the two. Yesterday. Yesterday. Great. Uh, so, where do you want to start, Steve? Do you want to start with let, how about this? How about this? Let's Let's start with child labor law stuff and end with stuff more flippant. How about that? You want to end on a high note? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Okay. 
so I sent you an article a little while ago about how the Arkansas governor, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, is, and I believe has passed, although now I can't find the article again. Um, If you're on the website, it's the second, click on the second child labor picture and that'll get you to the Sarah Huckabee Sanders article. The first one is about Iowa. The next one is about Minnesota. And then the last one is the uh, actual Department of Labor stuff that you just sent. Yeah, so the long and short of it is that there are a number of, sorry everybody for the politics right up front on a Saturday morning, number of red states that are, are easing the path for minors to work. And we're not talking about people who dig in the ground. We're talking about people under the age of 18. <laughs> Although... Uh, who knows? We might be looking at another rash of like twelve-year-old coal miners in some of these states. So, is I keep forgetting—is it Arkansas or Alabama that Huckabee Sanders is in charge of? I believe for it a is given Arkansas. value. Okay, for a given value of interest. But it may, maybe it is Alabama. But I—it's uh, one of those. It's an A state. Yeah. So <laughs> one of these one of these real red A states uh, has passed. That one has passed child labor law um, easements. So that it's it's far easier for children to work, and theoretically, I'm not against that. Steve, when was your first job? How old were you for your first job? Oh, uh, I was in high school, but I do not know um, when, how old I was. But I was I imagine I was under 18. And what was your first job? Uh, I worked at a cemetery. Oh, that's right, that's right. You mowed lawns at a cemetery. So yes. I did not realize that was your first job. As I've stated ad nauseum on this show, my first job, I was working late. I was working till like 1 o'clock in the morning at a mom-and-pop restaurant where child labor law violations were the least of their illegalities going on there. I was 14. I was being encouraged to, to quote, cash my paycheck at the restaurant out of petty cash or out of the register. I think because they either knew that the checks were going to bounce if I took them to a <laughs> bank or because they knew they were paying a 14-year-old to work until like 1 o'clock in the morning and they were trying to dodge that sort of thing. And they knew I was going to take it every time. Of course, I would bike home at 1.30 in the morning with a pocket full of cash. Yeah, I wanted to do that. <laughs> so I can't judge kids and families who either want or need to have employed children. I can't judge that because I did that exact same thing. Is it a good idea? Absolutely not. Unequivocally not, right? Childhood is 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 not a time when you should be <laughs> working in a restaurant, man, unless it's owned by your folks, in which case put those little bitches to work right (laughs) so this legislation by sarah huckabee sanders or at least legislation that she signed not only lowers that child minimum i think to 14 but there's no parental uh, permission required Yep. Which at, you know, when I was 14 working in rural Michigan in 1992, there also was no, like my parents knew I was working, but they didn't have to like go to the county seat and file paperwork or anything to say that I was a legally employed minor. I just, they just knew the people who owned the restaurant. Apparently didn't know them terribly well, but there was no paperwork. But there, it appears federally is paperwork that you have to fill out as a parent guardian to, uh, you know, give permission for your children to work. So this was followed up by Iowa and you said Minnesota or no, Ohio. Well, no, no. Yeah. The Minnesota one was just another instance of stuff. So it was, yeah, we've got Arkansas, Iowa, Ohio, 
Yeah. Uh, so far, at least in this article. So I don't know if anything else has followed suit. The, the brilliant thing about Iowa, too, is uh, um, there's a bill that would allow 14 and 15 year olds to work specific jobs in the meatpacking industry. It also protects employers from civil liability if any of the children employed are injured or killed on the job. Yeah. So we want you to have your baby so we can put them to work is basically, I guess, the mantra right now of the Republican Party, at least in Iowa. I can only imagine that there is JBS meatpacking um, lobbying money behind this because I don't believe no matter what I may think personally about the far right in this country I don't believe anybody wakes up in the morning and goes you know what I want to do I want to put kids in harm's way right yeah I don't think yeah. people wake up and think that in the morning but if you're an Iowa um, right-leaning you know ag focused member of their of their senator congress or whatever and JBS comes to you and goes, hey, remember how we got fined or our our cleaning company got fined a couple million bucks because we had 108 children working in eight different states, uh, wildly underage and in violation of all these federal labor laws. How about you write a bill on the back of all of this money I'm about to give you that makes it okay if we just fucking keep doing that? That is what I think is happening here. I have nothing to back that up. But it just feels too timely to have a huge, huge for you and me, not huge for a company like Packer Sanitation, which was fined $1.3 million for all these child labor law violations and is now being investigated by Homeland Security for possible human trafficking. It feels too timely for that payout to have happened like two months ago and this bill to be going through the Iowa legislature right now that basically says hey you know that thing they just did let's make that okay that feels like somebody yeah. got paid out for that like no way was this and, in the works since 2018 or something you know and the um the they're, they're they're saying that it's to take care of the labor shortage because there's a labor shortage right now in the, in the midwest which i'm sure isn't because we're paying people a pittance and they found right. better jobs um it's because we need to put children in those jobs how do you solve a labor shortage? Short labor. Get little kids in there. That's how. Yeah. So, uh, oh, crap. I had a thing I was going to say. <laughs> this is from Food Safety News. And sometimes they're stilted because Food Safety News is not really journalism the way that you and I understand journalism. It is. Yeah. It is. It goes back and forth between being just cold and calculating, like, here is information for you, and, like, wild opinion pieces. And then some of them kind of bridge that gap, where this one written by Dan Flynn on the 6th of, 20, uh, of March, child labor law reductions might become Iowa's solution to labor shortages. This st starts with... Quote, child labor bills in Iowa might grease the skids for human trafficking, but that's apparently not a concern for sponsors. <laughs> like, right off the bat, you know how Dan feels about this whole thing, which is okay. That's how we feel, too, right? Get the source that agrees with you. Um, the approach for changes in child labor in Iowa is to allow employment by those who are underage in prohibited jobs so long as employment is part of a training program. That is the loophole, Steve. So... I'm going to go all the way back now to this thing that I was reading earlier this morning to myself and kind of laughing. This is DOL.gov, DepartmentofLabor.gov, because I looked up what are child labor laws, right? Mm -hmm. Fact, this is boring, but it's important. Fact sheet number 43, child labor provisions of the Fair Labor Standards Act for non-agricultural occupations. FLSA was uh, ratified in 1938. This is legislation that's been around for a long fucking time. So, 
quote, the Department of Labor is committed to helping young workers find those positive and early employment experiences that can be so important to their development, but the work must be safe. Now, I sent you a photo, and I hope I sent you the right one. Hazardous occupation number 10, which is specifically banned in the federal guidelines on this from this uh, labor child labor bill. Hazardous Occupation 10, power-driven meat processing machines, slaughtering, and meat packing plants. Bans the operation of power-driven meat processing machines such as meat slicers, saws, and meat choppers wherever used, uh, parentheses, including restaurants and delicatessens. I personally have been in violation of that law in 1992. <laughs> back, to the, back to the thing. Also prohibits miners from cleaning such equipment, including the hand-washing of disassembled machine parts. This ban also includes the use of this machinery on items other than meat, such as cheese and vegetables. Uh, hazardous Occupation 10. I always, they just, they shorten it. I always just want to say Ho 10, but that's not cool. <laughs> also bans most jobs in meat and poultry slaughtering, processing, rendering, and packing establishments. So here's the trick. And here's where I think that these bills are not only funded by meat packing ag industry interests, but I also think that these bills are designed to fail in a political maneuvering sense. The labor laws, the child labor laws, as they are written on the federal, say, here are the federal guidelines. Some states have more strict guidelines. Some states have less strict guidelines. Whichever is stricter must be followed. What I feel like is going to happen here, let's say in Sarah Huckabee Sanders's A initialed red state. They are going to pass this bill, which is going to be in violation of this Fair Labor Standards Act. And the first time that it's violated in that state and the first time the feds show up, they're going to start screaming about states' rights. I think this is play acting. I don't think they're intentionally putting children in harm's way. I think this is a, le a right-leaning play. I think what they're going to do is they're going to say how they're going to say we passed this for the betterment of our state. How dare you feds come in here and stomp all over what we've done. The people have spoken and all this. And it's they're, they're writing rules that are weaker than the federal rules specifically so that when they get in trouble, they can cry states rights. Ah, uh, that's how World War or uh, the Civil War was set up, too. Oh, states rights. What do you mean we can't have slaves anymore? Yeah, it's not states rights. So yeah. that's what that's my feeling about this. And then well, it'll be tied up in litigation for years. And meanwhile, this uh, Packer sanitation will just blithely be uh, employing 13 year olds at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, um, so far, there haven't been any meat packers in Arkansas, right, that have been caught um, for anything. I don't know um, if you know how many meat packers there are in Arkansas. There must be some because they specifically mention it in the bill, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it could it could just be political theater. There are states that have done this with um, gun legislation. Kentucky just now um, uh, they passed through one of the chambers and it's going to the governor's desk. It has not been signed yet, but it could be signed, um, making Kentucky a, um, a Second Amendment uh, haven or a safe haven state, <laughs> which basically says that um, it would prevent law enforcement from working with the federal government on gun related crimes. Wow. And other states have passed that, and it's been struck down because it uh, is not constitutional. It, I don't think it takes long for that to happen. It just takes the ACLU or someone else to sue yeah. and, um, and say, hey, um, the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution specifically 
um, prevents these kinds of laws from being passed in states. So, but, and that's definitely got to be political theater. It's look, look what we tried to do, but the federal government doesn't let us. Um, yeah. Because of the laws on the federal level. But yeah, th- this the same. This is the same thing. If they're trying to allow children to work on these machines, um, contrary to hazardous occupation, what was it, 10? Yeah. Um, for Ho-10. Uh, yeah, Ho-10. Um, then they they cannot do that. The Ho-10 is supreme because it's a federal law yeah. versus state laws. Um, and that's part of the thing that states signed up to when they joined the union. And without question, the federal guidance on child labor laws is unequivocally a good thing. No question. Right. right. For several reasons. First off, like, I, I love the way that it's written because the, it's it's hours per day, hours per week, and hours on the clock, right? So if you're you if you're if you're under 14, you just cannot work in this country. You can kind of get away with it if like your folks own a grocery store and you're working like helping them clean up at the end of the night and they can pay you, but that's like the one caveat. And if your folks own a farm. If you're a farm right. kid, whatever, you can start working when you're like 3. That's always been set aside. But if you're under 14 in this country and you're working for somebody who you're not directly related to and it's not your folks, you're, you cannot do that. Also, you have to work outside school hours. You cannot work more than three hours on a school day, including Fridays. You cannot work more than eight hours on a non-school day. You cannot work more than 18 hours during a week when school is in session. And you cannot work more than 40 hours during a week when school is not in session. So a 14-year-old should never get overtime, even during the summer. You can work between 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., except between June 1st and Labor Day when the evening hours extended to 9 p.m. So everything I was doing when I was 14 working in that restaurant, like I violated all of these. (laughs) Right. But I didn't. I was fucking 14. I didn't do it. It was the how to describe those two. Maniacs. It was the maniacs <laughs> who owned that restaurant. They were the ones who were like it's the statute of limitations on that is way gone, right? This was well, thirty so years the ago. Right? Also the restaurant's gone. I've no idea where those people are. So there's no getting my youth back, you know. But this is unequivocally a good thing to say we want to make sure that children are safe. And it is astonishing to me. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, this is now going to veer very political. The right in this country is so desperate for talking points because they have no solutions to things that right now there's this big deal. You've heard about uh, Republicans saying drag shows are dangerous for our children. We have to protect our children from drag shows. Well, okay. The most dangerous thing at a drag show is that some right-wing nut is going to go there and shoot the place up. But still, the same people who are going to say, we need to protect our children from learning about critical race theory. We need to protect our children from drag shows. We need to protect our children from, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, learning about um, civil rights. They want to make it easier for a 13-year-old kid to work a 20-hour shift in a meat-fucking-packing plant. How about you protect the kids from yourselves, Sarah Huckabee Sanders? Right. If children need to be protected in this country, it's from like getting grinded up in a a sausage machine at two o'clock in the morning because they're exhausted because they also went to work or they went to school all day. Yeah. And it's shocking. 
you can't sue if your kid dies that way because we're removing that as well. Right. So, uh, right. Um, good that luck. was wild. And, and that was the, the we can part. still find them as the state. Yeah, the state can still find them. But guess what? We're we're um, setting the value of your child at ten thousand dollars. That's how much the state can sue. I mean, can fine rather the uh, um, the industry, whatever it is, if if the kid is is hurt or killed. So, and that's going to yeah. go to the state, not you. Right, 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 right. Yeah, you're not seeing any of that money at all. I wanted to find that exact quote, but I don't see where I sent it to you about, yeah, about the kids, um, that it indemnifies the owner of the meatpacking plant if your kid is injured or killed. It's unreal. Yeah, Absolutely it's the, unreal. It's the same. It's the Dan Flynn one. So child labor law reductions might become Iowa's solution to labor shortage. So it's the Iowa one. And it's uh, the proposed legislation would also exempt employers from civil liability if the child is sickened, injured, or killed because of negligence by the business. The state could fine the business, but that penalty is capped at $10,000. So here's my other question before we get away from this, because this is making me too angry. Because I have a 14-year-old son. We are not in a financial place where I would need my son to work right now. If he wanted to. I would want to know the people he was working for, hands down, because I personally have worked for some serious ass clowns in my time. And I would want to make sure that, like, if my son wanted to work, there's a dude in our old neighborhood who runs a soap shop. Do I want my son to work making soap in a little handcrafted soap shop and selling soap behind that counter? Yeah, kind of. That would be awesome. That might teach my son some, some social skills. There's been a dip in that sort of thing because of, of COVID. Do I want my son coming to me and going, hey, there's a, uh, uh, what do you call it, cheesecake factory, not far from us. Not like Cheesecake Factory, the grocery store, or the the um, restaurant, but there's like a place that makes cheesecake. <laughs> yeah. I want to go work there. Hey, maybe. I don't know. But if then I get his schedule and his schedule has him working an overnight, I'd be like, nope, fuck you. He doesn't work for you anymore, right? That's the kind of oversight that I want to have. Um. Here's my question. So this, again, comes from that article from Food Safety News. Quote, the Midwest is experiencing a severe labor shortage and weaker child labor laws are seen as a solution to some. The main change would create a loophole for children ages 14 to 17 who are participating in work-based learning or school or employer-administrated work-related programs. Now, my question, of course, is what are those programs? Are they being developed right now? Do they already exist? Because, I mean, does 4-H count? Does is there like a high school ag class that you can take that would co-sign you cleaning meat packing machines as a work study related thing? Like, how far are they going to stretch the taffy on that one? Well, that's the, I think that's the uh, um, the crux as well because and it, that means that I can just say, oh yeah, this is a uh, work based uh, work learning. They're they're learning how to pack meat. And, yeah. and if there's nothing other than this language in there, then it's extremely vague and it's done that way on purpose. Um, my sister worked at a school that, that um, was, did a lot of work stuff. It was uh, um, a lot of the kids were involved in, in sort of work-based learning or whatever. And they basically just had jobs. There was no, I mean, it was DC, so it was not, there, you know, meatpacking jobs. But I think some of them worked, probably worked in like a mechanics shop or uh, yeah grocery stores or who knows what and they were just jobs but and um they were work-based learning and uh i mean i don't think there was any learning going on other than learning the job um the other thing that i think is kind of subversive here or is um 
you know, uh, uh, not um, in, in any of the text is that uh, the, I, I don't think these companies are going to be hiring a lot of, you know, um, young white kids to do yeah. these jobs. It's so that they can bring in um, the uh, um, brown kids of, of whatever shade um, or, or other, other you know, non-white kids that from immigrants or, you know, other people, migrants that um, are going to send their kids to do this because they legitimately need the money um, yeah. to, to survive. And they're going to try to take advantage of those who are disadvantaged um, in, in this situation to fill a labor shortage because it's not about – it doesn't say anything about uh, quality of life. It's about right. labor shortage. Um, and, and that is – not great either i mean i'll say this and i'm again i'm not a mathematician i'm not an economist any industry or any segment of an industry or any particular employer who complains about a lack of labor complains about a labor shortage and yet still posts profits they do not have a labor issue what they have is they have an allocation of resources issue which is if you cannot attract people to work for you but you are still making money then you are making too much money and your model is broken. You need to take more of that money and put it back into your employees. You need to be offering, well, I have something to say about healthcare. You need to be offering healthcare or better healthcare. You need to be offering higher wages. You need to be offering paid time off. You need to be making yourself more attractive. And those things cost you as the employer, as the industry, as a segment of an industry, it costs you money. So if the problem is that you are not posting profits enough to your shareholders, and so you are not offering the kind of wages that are attractive to people, that's not a labor shortage. That means the job sucks. And that's yeah. your fault. That's right. your fault as an industry, a segment, or an employer. Uh, in a minute, we're going to have to talk about the new regulations in Chicago about restaurant healthcare, which is bonkers and awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so you're absolutely right. People who cry labor shortage the most are the ones who are then, oh, fourth quarter profits are 97 kajillion dollars. Like, okay, well, anytime you invest money back into your business, equipment, marketing, uh, upgrades on things, that's all long-term investments in your business, and it shows physically, right? Like if you get a new cooler in your restaurant because you made some money that month and you're like, well, I'm going to get rid of this old cooler, I'm going to get a new one, that shows immediately. But if you pay your staff more or you offer more money for hiring, that doesn't necessarily show right away. Because like you were just saying about on-the-job training and, and, and work being work-study, all work should be work-study. Everyone should be getting better at their jobs all the time. That's how you get promoted. That's how you move up within a company and all of that. So the, uh, the loose writing, like you just said, the loose writing of work-study, if you're not learning at your job all the time, you might need a new job, you know? <laughs> but if you put money into your employees, you're not going to see a return on that right away. You're going to see a return on that in a year when you haven't had to spend time and money and effort replacing those people and then training new people and then doing background checks and doing new tax forms and doing new hire paperwork and all of that crap. Retention is cheaper in the long run than hiring at low wages. Yeah. Very simple. Um, um and I think you're, um, you mentioned, and this is, I think, part of, again, the crux, if I can reuse that word, um, 
is that, yeah, if, if you're looking only at your shareholders and not at your workers, then bad decisions get made. And yeah. uh, if you can work for a private company, hopefully, I mean, they private companies are better positioned to be better at this. They aren't necessarily. They it's because um, it needs to be um, a good owner who is a good manager and, and a good leader, that kind of thing. But um, I feel like once things become public, publicly traded, there the temptation or the draw magnetically so is so much stronger to i need to satisfy these shareholders i forget what company it was i just saw met the expectations that they'd set and their stock dropped because they only met them they didn't Um, exceed yeah right and i forget what it was i just it may be on a bank because those have been in the news lately but uh there were some places like hey we met you know our uh our uh predictions what are they called uh projections projections we we met them and uh the stockholders are like ah we want more <laughs> it's like well <laughs> great we we can't please it's like the boss being like well you did exactly what your job is but you didn't do more than your job yeah. so we're gonna cut your pay <laughs> right right i this may be apocryphal but i had a long time ago at a new co-worker at a restaurant and, you know, how you do when you get to know your new coworkers. And this guy was talking about how they did quarterly reviews at the, his previous restaurant. And we were all like, oh, that sounds kind of cool, I guess. Like, you just get a sort of a rolling idea of how well you're doing. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Except, depending on how you're doing, your pay could go up or down. <laughs> and I went, is that why you quit? He goes, fuck yeah, that's why I quit. <laughs> Because <laughs> could you imagine you come into work one day, how arbitrary it could be, it could end up being. You're, you come in and your boss is like, here's a list of things you didn't do. I didn't tell you to do these things, but these are the things that I needed, so I'm going to drop your pay. Like, wow, okay. Yeah. I, uh, I can't imagine. Like the, no. the lack of like um, back and forced, forth trustworthiness there, which is, it, it, it would be shocking to me. Yeah, and, then, and then do they... I mean, I don't know what the records are, but then do they get to say, yeah, we gave this person a raise 17 times in the last two years. But, yeah, you decreased their wages 16 times. So, uh... I don't know if we've talked about this. I spent a month, very proud of this, in fact. I spent a month doing math, going back and forth with my boss, going back and forth with home office. And, ladies and gentlemen, once again, happy to talk about my company off air if you want to get a hold of me directly because everybody should be working for my company as far as i'm concerned it's fantastic (laughs) uh the processes we have in place the amount of support we have from home office just like the number of recipes we have the allergen tracking we have all of this stuff it's uh, now i'm used to it and there's no going back for me like i would not be able to go back to a regular restaurant unless i open my own shit somewhere right i had to advocate hard and it took like legit no it was over a month now that i'm thinking about it Doing math, rebudgeting, all of this kind of stuff, but I managed to get put into this year's budget, which is unheard of for us to make adjustments to budget mid-year, a significant raise for half of my staff. Now, the other half of my staff is brand new, and I'm not saying they're not worth the raise, but this was a market increase raise because people in Chicago are paying more than I'm paying my cooks. And I just got to a point where I was like, I can't stand for this anymore. And I'm not getting complaints from my staff. I'm not getting dissatisfaction, murmurs and such from them. But like three, yeah, half of my staff, Half of three of my six cooks have other jobs. And it's like, that doesn't sit with me well. Looking at what other places are paying and then looking at what I'm paying, and I'm like, 
for years my company really traded hard on the the lifestyle like you were just saying the quality of life the benefits the healthcare, the like we have we only we work six to two monday to friday right like get your weekends and nights free and all this you can't pay rent with those things you can't yeah. pay rent with weekends free and so i was able to score a significant raise for three of my staff and the promise of another raise in september when we all come back to work uh, in the fall and uh, a, 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 another boost for those three but a larger boost for the other three when we come back in september and i'm really proud of that that i did i'm i'm part of a movement in my company because apparently we've been hearing this all over the country where the owners are going to places and finding that we're understaffed specifically because we're not paying enough and for us it's been we have to make a case but it's been fairly simple to just be like here's what i want to pay my staff here's what i'm going to get out of it and i'm going to stop having to hire so much i'm going to stop like my time is valuable and if i'm spending a bunch of my time interviewing doing background checks hiring buying new uniforms buying new shoes all of this layout of capital i'm not doing what i'm supposed to be doing it takes me away from my job yeah so my boss was like fuck yeah throw some money at those people i was like great thank you well and it worked i've been um i'm a huge advocate of all the the uh extra little things all of the um the, the perks, the quality of life stuff that you mentioned yeah. that you said that the company was really kind of um, um, leaning hard on. And uh, I will say this, though. I, I think that that's that's what keeps you on the job. It's not what gets you in the door. The, the right. dollar signs are what people look at when they're making their decisions about who to apply for and where to accept jobs at. Um, the other stuff will keep you there. It's like all these influencers that want people to do stuff free at their wedding. It's like, <laughs> you know, you're you're an idiot. Those people, you know, can't eat on exposure. And uh, right. if you want, if you really want to get something out of them, offer to pay them and be like, yeah, hey, look, photographer, we're going to pay you to do to be here for the three hours. But, you know, you're getting all this exposure. Would it be possible we could get a fourth hour out of you maybe for for gratis right, right. you know that that kind of thing i don't know if anyone would do that because it's still bogus with the exposure thing but uh you know y- y- you're more likely to hold on to someone who's working for you if you have good quality of life stuff but it's not necessarily going to be the thing that brings them in the door because they're looking at numbers at least i would be yeah yeah and the other thing is that like it's intangible right it's right. very it's yeah yeah it's very difficult to quantify that kind of stuff i will say without any shade at my staff because no part of this was their fault. The attitude and general like feel in my kitchen coming from those three in particular is just better these days. And the yes, I have a lot of advantages and the money's not coming directly out of my pocket. It is a budget that I have to manage and I'll be on the hook sort of if we are out of whack with our budget. I just know that and I have to watch those numbers and it is a little bit of extra work for me. Whatever, happy to do it because three of my staff are happier now. And happy people who want to come to work, who want to be there, who want to do the job, are doing a better job. Not, It's not a trick. And I made sure that I let these staff members know, because there's two kinds of raises, Steve, like you know. Yeah. <laughs> there's the, you are doing an amazing job. I want to reward you with more money. That, you do get slightly better work out of somebody when you acknowledge, here's the work you're doing for me. It's fucking amazing. I'm going to give you a little bit more money. That person is then going to do better work for you. That's just sort of, that's just what happens. The other raise is, I'm giving you some money, you better fucking earn it. I'm giving you more stuff to do. I made sure my staff knew that was not what I was saying, right? Yeah. 
And this was this was a I want to bring you up to what people in Chicago are paying. This is a market rate increase. You are valuable to me. You're valuable to the company, but you're valuable to me, right? Without you, I don't get to do my job. And I told each of these three that. And they do now better work for me. And that was not my goal. My goal is retention, right? I, my goal was I now I want to pay you what I feel like is commensurate with the work you're doing right now. And now they're all doing what I would consider to be slightly better work. Or at the very least, they're just happier people. That's all to the good. There's yeah. no, there's nothing wrong with any of that. Right. But it's tough to quantify. You know, the, um, if you were uh, Governor Sanders, you would have just um, looked at your staff and be like, I don't care if they quit. I work at a school. I can just bring in any of these kids. <laughs> what do you mean give them raises? These people are way too old. <laughs> they're going to age out soon anyway. <laughs> I have an employee who's 30. She's twice as old as I need my employees to be. <laughs> I could have two of her for half the cost. Just get a couple of 14-year-olds in there. That Listen, would be awful. Also, who wants to employ a fucking 14-year-old? They're the worst. Are you kidding me? In, in, Iowa is going to be Logan's run. It's like, uh, I'm giving you a race <laughs> so you can afford the hair dye. Because I see one gray hair, Ugh, you're done. Logan's run. <laughs> wow. Um, I feel like this dovetails a little bit into the DC stuff. Um, do you want to talk about that? The, the uh, which would then might dev- dovetail into healthcare. Um, the uh, DC AG, you sent me this. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Find it. There's my picture of DC. This um, is this is the deceptive billing practices one, right? Yes, yes. So we've talked about this kind of before, or, or not this exactly, but the idea of some places putting on twenty um, percent um, surcharge for yeah. employee healthcare. Um, and that kind of thing. And so in D.C., the deceptive stuff is illegal. So if that's not actually going to health insurance, then it's not legal. And you can't just put service fees. You have to say exactly what it's for, and then it needs to be do, um, going for that. You can't be skimming off the top if you're a, a, a restaurant. Um, yeah. I, what Steve's referencing, I sent him an article. It's from the Office of the Attorney General of the District of Columbia. Consumer alert. DC restaurants are barred from charging deceptive fees. And um, th- this is part of just deceptive fees across the board for a lot of industries. And I equated yeah. it on the website to uh, your cellular phone or your gas company or your electric company that's like, yeah, your gas bill was uh, um, 30 bucks, but you owe us 130 bucks because we have all these fees yeah. um, associated with it that it's like, why? <laughs> I thought I was just paying for gas, but no. And it's like, <laughs> some of them make sense. It's like, well, this is uh, a fee to keep up the equipment, you know, so there's no gas explosion. Or whatever. Sure. So it's like, yes, I want the lines to be upkept, but shouldn't that just be incorporated into the fee of the gas? And uh, so, so restaurants have gotten um, hip to this, or at least some of them have. And now some of these are legit. Like some people are putting on there, this is what we're charging. This is for healthcare. They do offer healthcare to their employees, and uh, you know that that's a legit fee. Yeah. And and they're proud of it, which is why they want to put it on there. They're proud of the fact that they're offering health insurance to their. Uh, the, the kitchen staff and wait staff or one or the other or whatever. Right. Um, and so they're putting it on there. So some of them are legit, but some, I'm sure there's some restaurants out there being like, oh, we can put on like cleaning fee and it's yeah. starting to look like an Airbnb instead of a restaurant. Well, and so I imagine that this is split between restaurants. Like you said, it's probably a third. It's probably by third. So a third of them are probably restaurants going, you know what? 
we were a good place to work. We want to offer health insurance. We're going to put that onto the menu as a fee in lieu of raising prices. We're just going to put that on the fee. We're going to put that fee on the bill. And it, like it says in this article, um, it has to be good. Uh, to comply with these laws, restaurants should clearly and prominently disclose fees at the beginning of the ordering process. This must include the type and amount of fee. For example, servers could tell you about a fee verbally, or it could be disclosed in bold print on the menu. I bet you people are putting it on the menu. Fine. A third of these are probably putting that on the menu, and they're like you said, they're proud. They're like, we're taking care of our people, you're helping us do it, fucking great. Another third are not understanding that that's important for them to be very transparent about that, and are just writing, you know, like staff wellness fee or something like this something something a bit more vague and they're probably getting in trouble for that and what you also said is probably true the other third is just fuck you fee and it's either not being disclosed in the menu at all or it's really vague and it's showing up on the bill and it's going toward the owner's tesla or golf tea time right like right. that sort of thing i'm sure fraud is happening certain i mean the fact that it's in dc aside i'm sure that fraud <laughs> is happening with this yeah. Um, and the the other thing, um, this and this, again, we've talked about this ad nauseum in some regards, um, goes back to your uh, vitriol toward Burger King, but uh, or any place with a dollar menu, is the reason that things are appearing like this, as much as we advocate for, you know what, restaurants need to be more expensive. Yeah. That's just kind of the way it is. The, the pressure for restaurants to keep the price low because someone's going to go, especially if you're posting your menu outside, look at yeah. your menu. They're not going to look down for the fees necessarily that are printed on your menu um that are there clearly but they're going to look at what does a burger cost as like yeah. well i can get a burger down the road for whatever price not realizing that this burger uh, price includes health insurance or whatever it is quality of life stuff for staff yeah. that the other one doesn't yeah um and so they're just again like uh, getting employed they're just looking at the number and um that's why these fees i think are done the way they are sometimes is because restaurants don't feel they can say, well, this is how much my burger costs because someone can say, well, I can get it for a dollar at, at McDonald's or I can, I can do it at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, you're absolutely right. There's the, the, the optics on it are weird. If you down the street are selling a burger for $5 and I'm selling one for seven fifty, but you have a 20% fee buried at the bottom of your menu to cover your health insurance. And I've, rolled it into my uh rolled it into my menu prices mine looks more expensive even though at the end of the day yours might be on par or more expensive in some cases i've often wondered why it is uh health insurance money doesn't come out of an increase in uh alcohol cost because people <laughs> yeah maybe a 12 dollar beer is expensive but you know what's less expensive than that your second 12 dollar beer because you don't care right if you buy a glass of wine for, you know, eight bucks, or let's say you buy a bottle of wine for uh, $40 at a restaurant. If you have cocktails after that, you give a fuck what they charge for that because you've had a <laughs> bottle of wine, right? Like, get them while they're drunk. Charge them. Be like, oh, you want a Manhattan? It's $150, <laughs> you know? So uh, I'm not saying restaurants shouldn't be um, transparent and above board and all that, but I am saying you can charge drunk people more than then use that for health insurance it's the circle of life can you incrementally raise the prices on the glasses of wine first glass of wine God, that'd 15 dollars <laughs> second glass of wine 20 dollars third glass of wine of wine 45 dollars right you know uh, 
two days later, they're going to see their receipt buried in the bottom of their coat pocket or whatever. And they're going to be like, what the fuck? And at that point, it's going to be like, you signed the credit card slip, man. Like, you paid for that. That's yours. It's now. on the. It's written in the menu. You could have bought the bottle. You could have bought the yeah. whole bottle. But you went glass by glass. You'll get away with that once. That's <laughs> a restaurant. And then you will get closed. <laughs> man. So, yeah, uh, people in D.C., beware. It just It's not even beware. It's situational awareness. Just, like, look at, look at your options. Keep in mind that, and I've said this for years, tipping is not going to go away. I've known three people just in Chicago who went away from tipping. The public backlash was so much, they went back to it and had to readjust all the prices on their menu accordingly. While we are living in a tipping culture, if you don't have 20% more money than you expect you're going to spend on your food, you do not have enough money to go out. Yeah. Because those servers, yes, is it crooked and gross and capitalistically bloodthirsty that restaurant owners expect you, the consumer, to literally pay directly to the server because they don't want to? Yes, all of that is true. It's gross. It's a gross system. It's a system we operate in. If you're not prepared to tip, don't go out. Because those servers, that is what they live on. Because yeah. their bosses, oh, because their bosses do not want to pay them. And this is gonna, this is gonna be important when we talk about Chicago restaurant healthcare in a second here. Want to uh, transition into that? Yeah, let's jump in. Ladies and gentlemen, at this point in the episode, Steve and I make an error where we're individually talking about different articles, and we just got our lines crossed a little bit. We conflate the term healthcare and PTO. So as you listen to us fumble through the next couple of minutes here, keep in mind that what we're talking about is an ordinance in the city of Chicago, which requires all employers to offer paid time off, PTO, which is accrued at a rate of one hour per 40 hours worked. So what that means is, unlike the entirety of my career, you work 40 hours at your job, you have earned the right to take one hour off paid. You get to decide what that is, and I imagine that the rules of how you schedule that are going to be left up to the individual employers, but you cannot be fired or any of that sort of thing. There's, there's no retribution. If you use that, it is one of your rights. It is a thing that actually happens in a fuck ton of other industries, just not in mine. So we'll see how this works out. Here's an ABC News article. I will send it your way. Please Illinois do. poised to mandate paid leave for nearly all workers. Okay, yeah, please send me that. That's Illinois, though, not Chicago. Um, but this is from February 19th of this year so let's skim it real quick whatever whatever this legislation is would go uh take effect on january 1 2024 one hour of paid sick leave for every 40 hours worked up to 40 hours total yeah that's the same that's the same thing um and they can start using their time once they've worked for 90 days and then it says ordinances in cook county and chicago already require employers to offer paid sick leave and workers in those locations will continue to be covered by the existing laws rather than the new bill so it's expanding um, what's in Chicago for the state. I wonder how many people in Chicago are unaware. Well, it must be tied to how many employees you have then because I know smaller restaurants are not. Like a friend of mine who has a pizza place who was going to be on the show just started offering health insurance, and he was really proud of it. So it must be like an over 20 employees or something like this. Now, this, this ABC News article you sent me is about 
PTO that's not tied to sick leave, just like uh, getting vacation days. Oh, okay. And so that is um, that's different. Like I don't think of it as being different because my company's like PTO package is such that like you accrue all that stuff at roughly the same rate, and it's not tied to any thing besides hours worked post 90 days but that would be weird like i don't know that i ever worked in a restaurant in my life where you could have just paid time off for anything at all right like health insurance i don't know that i ever had health insurance in a freestanding restaurant and then pto for just like i want to take a day off i want to use eight hours of pto that never once happened at any restaurant that i worked at not a one in 30 years yeah well and 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 and, uh (laughs) your your current job um for your employees anyway and i know this is another one of those kind things that gets tricky with your employees because you have forced vacation time we do uh, yeah uh, every year so what happens with my staff, which is a smart move on their part, even though it's weird and home office doesn't like doing it, is that my staff accrues PTO throughout the year. I mean, it does start from minute one, but then you're only eligible to get health insurance from us after 90 days. So you get, like, if you're sick, you can take, obviously, I don't want you to work if you're sick, but there's there's uh, personal days, vacation time. Personal days come to you where it's like the very beginning of the year, you get two of them put into your payroll that you can just use if you want. Vacation time is accrued via hours worked. Sick time is accrued via hours worked. And my staff tends to do a thing that I am not supposed to encourage them to do. They should be taking vacation time and PTO throughout the year and living a full life and all that. No, they save it up because they're not fucking dummies. They save it up and at the end of the school year... They get paid out to the tune of all their personal days, all of their vacation days, and everything except for 48 hours of sick time. Because we don't want them to start the new school year with zero sick time at all. What if you get sick day one, right? You need some of that time. So we make them hold on to 48 hours of sick time. But besides that, they get so like they get the equivalent of, in some cases, two or three weeks worth of full paychecks dumped onto them at the end of the school year to carry them through part of the summer which is brilliant and i totally tell my staff you should be taking pto throughout the year live a full life have good work life balance but on the side i'm like yo but if you save it up you can dump all that on yourself at the end of the school year and you don't have to rush around and find a new job right away for those two and a half months that we're off but let's get back into this now that we've uh, learned some stuff because (laughs) I was conflating two things. I was conflating the sick pay from 2016 to the PTO accrual that just passed and, like you said, would become active January of next year, right? 2024. So expansive paid leave legislation. This is from ABC News. Expansive paid leave legislation requiring Illinois employers to give workers time off based on hours worked to be used for any reason is ready for action by Democratic Governor J.B. Pritzker, who said he will sign it. So what does this mean? We were just talking about this. You work, you said it's one hour for every 40 hours worked? Yeah. So you work a 40-hour week, you've gained one hour of paid time off, which in restaurants, unfucking heard of. At no point, like I knew throughout my entire career that if I asked for a day off, I was not going to get paid for that day. That wasn't even a question for me. At no point in my career was I like, hey, boss, on the telephone, I cannot work tomorrow. I need you to still pay me. That 
you just get fired for that shit, right? <laughs> so starting next year in the city of Chicago, anybody who works at a restaurant, it seems, because this will be any... Did it say full-time employees, or did it just say anyone who's employed for any reason? Um, for this one? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 um, well, it, seasonal workers such as lifeguards will be exempt, as will federal employees or college students who work non-full-time temporary jobs for the university. Um, so there are some exemptions, but... Uh, so it does not say. I, I would be interested to find out if it is full-time employees or not, because I have a theory about it. But... What this means is uh, the rules will probably be kind of wiggly, right? Like if you need tomorrow off for no reason at all, you just want to take tomorrow off and you want me to pay you for it. Th like any savvy employer is going to look at this and say, well, I have to do this, but I'm going to build rules into my employee hiring training process that says like, yeah, if you need a day off, fucking fine. Give me four days notice. Right, they're going to set some sort of a minimum on it. Now, if it's a sick thing, you can't tell people when to be sick and when not to be sick. But, like, your daughter has a recital on a Saturday, and you want that Saturday off. That shit didn't just fall in your lap. Like, tell your boss that because it's not because you owe your boss anything, but just because that's kind, right? Like, that's just yeah. a thing. And well, then your boss. Your fellow workers, if nothing else. Yeah. And then your boss goes, okay, sweet. You know, you have some PTO accrued. It's. Four hours. I can pay you for four hours of that. And then you look at your paycheck stub and you're like, I've got nine hours. How about you pay me for eight, motherfucker? And you do that, <laughs> right? So I don't I don't know a lot. I have not read this bill. I don't know a lot of things about can your boss fire you for saying, I need tomorrow off. I don't know if that's legal or illegal. Uh, are there restrictions built into this about how, like, if there's retribution or, like, that sort of thing? The... Full-time, part-time, that's the real tricky one for me because you run a restaurant. Let's say you have six line cooks, a dishwasher, and two bussers, and then you have like 900 waitstaff. If you have to start accruing paid time off for all of them, if they're full-time, well, suddenly, ladies and gentlemen, all of those servers are going to be part-time. Yeah. Under, under whatever threshold it is where accrual actually starts. Because you said working more than 40 hours in a 120-day period. I think it was 80, 80, 80. hours and 100. So two weeks and however many, 120. Three months, four months. Yeah. That's a lot. So, yeah. If that's not the case, if it still applies to part-time workers, then, yeah, restaurants are going to see an uptick in payroll. Simple as that. Because that's what that is. What that means is that every 40 hours you work, you've earned another hour. So it's as though every restaurant is paying you an extra hour for every 40 hours that you've worked. That's going to be hard. That's going to be hard for people. And that's and I, I feel bad about that, but it is once again not only the right thing to do, it's a good thing to do. To tell people like, here is another thing to show you that we value you. Here is a thing for you that you have earned. It's not a gift, it's not a burden to the restaurant necessarily. It is a thing that you have earned by working there at that rate. Yeah. As um, somebody who doesn't have to have that come out of his pocket, I am a hundred percent in favor of it. <laughs> Um, the thing that really struck me about the the I guess it's the 2016 law is that it mentioned in the article I sent this to you <laughs> that you would not have to find coverage to get your day off. You're yeah. not required to find coverage. So um, I mean at at Starbucks, um, and I don't remember exactly. I, this would have been before 2016 when I was working at Starbucks, so that law wouldn't even have been in effect. But there's they have a whole website 
for Starbucks employees because if you work at a Starbucks, you can work at any Starbucks because oh. they're corporately owned. So um, any anyone that works at any Starbucks in the city can work at any other Starbucks in the city unless there's some weird private one that, that I don't know about. At least that's the way it was back then. And there's a website to put your shift up saying like, hey, I need this day off. Can anyone take this shift? So I could – I worked uh, in Old Town. And but if someone from a Starbucks, you know, on the other side of the city, you, you know, downtown or whatever is like, yeah, I can work that shift. I'll take that shift. Then they took it. And now I'm free. Huh. Um, and they could drive up from whatever store it is, jump into my store. And uh, because it's you're making the same drinks, it's just different people yeah. that you're with. Now, that sounds kind of cool and efficient. Was there a penalty if you needed the day off and you couldn't find coverage yourself? Do you uh, know? Uh, I mean, I imagine that there possibly could be. Yes. And I think that's where this law kind of steps in. Uh, because I think then if I n- had to take the day off and I could not find coverage, unless I had a really good reason, they could, that's probably grounds for termination. Huh. But okay. after 2016, after that law, yeah. they're saying, no, if you, you know, if you have this accrued, then that's wrongful termination and yeah. you at least get unemployment if, if not, you know, being able to file wrongful termination lawsuit or whatever, if you were yeah. so inclined um, I don't know exactly how that works, but I would imagine it would at least mean that if they fired you for taking a day off and not finding coverage under the new law, if you had the PTO um, or sick leave or whatever, that you could yeah. uh, you know, get unemployment at least. Well, and it's tricky because in our lifetimes, the power has started to shift from the employer to the employee, and employers don't like that shit at all. And it's it, you see it everywhere where the kind of bosses I was raised under – who yell and scream, throw pots and pans. I'm thinking mainly of chefs and drunk front-of-the-house assholes. They do that once, and their staff quits. And then they go, oh, nobody wants to work. And it's like, no, people aren't going to work under those conditions anymore. And so, yeah, like, I run a pretty nice shop. And I do it on purpose because I've spent so long learning how not to run places from people like that. (laughs) But I also, like, you walk that line where you get taken advantage of. If somebody on my staff needs the day off, I firmly believe that as the manager of my shop, as essentially the chef owner, except I don't really own it, but that's the role that I fill. If somebody needs a day off and I have not scheduled in such a way that that's okay if one person is out, that's my fault. And I tend to do that work when somebody is out. I had somebody get COVID a while back and I did her job for two weeks while she was out or six shifts. Fine, right? That's on me. I have somebody who, uh, I have an event coming up this coming Wednesday. I cannot work it, so I have a server coming in to work it with my lead cook. If she can't do it, I need to figure something out. That Not her. I need to do that because I'm I'm the person in charge, right? However, that's a relatively recent thing, and that's a very conscious choice I'm making. I have worked at places where I was sick, and the chef said to me, you need to find somebody to cover your shift. Like Thinking back on it, I'm like, no, motherfucker, it's not my business. Right. Then it, you I need to give me a raise so that I'm getting management money to find the to bingo. Yeah. yeah. And I have quit jobs for less. And thinking back on it, I bet a lot of the jobs that I quit, that was a contributing factor that I just didn't have words for at the time. Which is just like, how am I being treated here? How is the business showing that they find value in me? And one of those things is like you ask your boss for a review because you were told you were going to get a review after 90 days and it's been like eight months and then the boss brings up all this shit from when you were training eight months ago and you're like this guy just doesn't want to give me a raise because he knows that reviews generally bring raises with him and then you start looking for another job right that whole like let me 
show you how I value you is is something that employers are going to have to learn real fast because the labor shortage, quote, labor shortage is just going to get worse for the people who aren't taking care of their staff. Simple as that. Yeah. I think it's more of a tolerance shortage. <laughs> I mean, what the industry is facing right now is that people are realizing that other jobs aren't as shitty as industry jobs and they're doing those instead. Yeah. And and there's no going back from that. And and this is something that will fade maybe with time, but I think right now it's still very salient and that's the idea that uh that a lot of restaurant workers got really sick during the pandemic and a lot of them died and people yeah. are looking and saying, you know, the guy that used to stand next to me on the line is gone yeah. because of COVID because we were treated like crap and it's not worth it because life is short and I should be doing something better. Yeah, 100%. And it's, again, tough to quantify. I did not go into advocating for a decent raise for three of my staff thinking, I want these people to come in with a better attitude every day, and I want them to do hard, like better work for me. That was not my goal. I got that anyway. It was like fucking Christmas for me. <laughs> but it turns out that is a one-to-one -one thing, but you can't put that on a balance sheet. You can't put that on a P&L, right? Yeah. My staff is happier, and it's worth this amount of money to me. That doesn't exist. And that's the part that people are going to have to come to grips with. And it's as simple as, in some cases, someone says to you, I need next Saturday off for my daughter's recital. And you go, okay. And that's the end of the conversation, not, okay, well, you better see if Beth can work your station. No. Yeah. Like, as an employer, you just need to say, okay, and you need to find somebody to cover that because it's your business. You're the one putting the pieces in place. It's your responsibility. The Not the employees. The employee is responsible for their job while they are there. That's it. it It'll be interesting. These conversations, I think, will be especially interesting once we have our AI overlords managing yeah, all yeah. our businesses, uh, because they're not, you know, they, they're not going to have any feelings. I I read this multi-slide, and this this is for every industry out there, ladies and gentlemen. I read this multi-slide story that had been reported on Instagram, where this woman, her uh, office opened back up after COVID, and she had been doing her job, which was in like data management, from home successfully throughout COVID. No interruption of service. In fact, she was producing a bit more per day because she wasn't commuting and having to take a 45-minute lunch break to go out into the city and find food and whatever. Like, she wasn't foraging, but, like, you know, going to a restaurant and whatever. <laughs> right, right. Because she was doing it all at home. Office reopened. Boss said everybody has to come into work. And she was like, man. And she asked her boss. She was like, look, look at my productivity over the last couple of years. If anything, it's increased staying at home. How about you just let me stay at home? And he goes, our employees are not allowed to work from home. She goes, all right. So she goes into work. On a Friday afternoon, her boss sends her a thing and is like, you know, something, something, this just popped up, whatever. At 5 o'clock, she turns off her computer. She goes home. She turns off her Microsoft Teams on her phone. She turns off her email alerts on her phone. And she turns her phone phone off. Does her whole weekend. Gets to work Monday morning and her boss goes, hey, there was this thing I sent you on Friday and I told you that we needed it done and uh, I was trying to get a hold of you all weekend and she just dead eyes stared at him and went, I am not allowed to work from home. It's 100% worth restaurant employees saying that to their bosses when the bosses go, you need to find somebody to cover your shift. Be like, I am not on the clock right now, motherfucker. That's your job. Yeah. I, I don't run this place. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Like 
I don't have that with my staff because I don't put them in that position. Also, if you're a boss and you're putting your staff in the position of having to come back to you being like, no, I'm not going to do your job for you. You're being a bad boss, right? So don't do that to them. That doesn't happen with me. Also, like we only kind of have one shift. So there is nobody to cover unless we all club together and cover, which is what we do anyway. Like my staff, by and large comes together when somebody has to be out because they know that there's a finite amount of work it all needs to get done whatever it's all going to balance out and everybody on my crew works together that way more or less we're having a little bit of an issue right now but i think i've got it resolved so fine that's training that's culture and that's uh consistency of message that's what that is yeah it's got to be rough for you in some ways as well, because uh, even if you wanted to do the Starbucks model, you're the only house in town right now, right? Yep. Yeah, we're the so, only location for my company in Chicago. And you know what? The opportunity for me to get taken advantage of and have my staff call me up and be like, I don't feel like coming into work today. They could do that. The people I employ don't do that. Because yeah. they know. Like, they know they know how valuable they are. They, they are taken care of at my shop. That's yeah. what you get when you pay people more and you offer them PTO and you offer them health insurance and you buy them lunch and you do cool stuff and we have ongoing trainings and all of that. When you show them, when you demonstrate that they have value to you, they reciprocate. It's as simple as that. You can't quantify it, except then you don't have people ghosting you and uh, skipping on shifts and you don't have to hire all the time and all that kind of stuff. It works out long term. Yeah. Yes. As it's hard. It's hard work. Yeah. As does paying attention during the hiring process, which I know you've yeah. um, you've definitely had to do uh, because of the uh, uh, number and quality of resumes that pass over your desk. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the other thing I told my boss, and I don't want to throw shade on anybody who's hiring in for a lower wage job right now, because again, we've got companies like the National Restaurant Association lobbying hard against raising the minimum wage. Why? Desperate people who need to work will take lower paying jobs. That's what the national restaurant industry wants. It wants all of us in debt having to take lower wage jobs because we don't have the time and resources to go get an education to get out of the industry. That's what they want, right? They want fodder. They want cannon fodder. And I'm you like, hey, National Restaurant Aid, uh, Association, you have to come to me and convince me that you're not the villain here. I do not believe it. Well, so this is something I learned about the National Restaurant Association this past week or the over the past two weeks as well. So uh, I, the National Restaurant Association is a lobbying group. That's all it is. Yeah, that's all it is. So we, I think we kind of figured that out. But the other thing, um, I don't know who the members are necessarily because they also do trade shows. Yep. And the only this is how I found this out. So um, Dole Whip, if any of you have been to Disney or maybe even some other uh, theme parks uh, and or the Dole Plantation in Hawaii, I have experienced Dole Whip, which is a completely non-dairy vegan um, uh, pineapple ice cream. Yeah, um, it, it is. It's amazing. Um, they also have some other flavors, cherry, orange and whatever mango. And they're going to be in stores. They're going to actually be able to go and buy buy it at your grocery store. They didn't have it told us when, but that's that. So anyway, in reading one of these stories about Dole Whip, I saw where it said that Dole Whip premiered at a trade show for the National Restaurant Association back in I don't even know what year, 1980 something. And I was like, oh, so they do trade shows like like the auto industry or like so you would go to this place as a restaurant owner you'd go to the trade show and you'd be looking at all of these 
that's where the the flippy would be. Yeah, that's where yeah, yeah. Uh, these you know uh, people that have packaged things in certain ways or new French fries or whatever you'd go to see these places. So it's like I, I, the National Restaurant Association. Then my question is, it's not uh, is it for restaurant owners or restaurant workers or is it for people that supply restaurants with stuff to sell their wares? Because it seems like more it's more on the industrial side of things like, hey, we just made these new styrofoam cups. We just made these new compostable uh, clamshells. We just made this new shake machine, and we want to show it to you so that you'll buy it. I just don't know where the National Restaurant Association falls into every, anything anymore. And it, their name feels like a little bit of a misnomer to me <laughs> Yeah, um, because it's less for restaurants than it is for other things. So the National Restaurant Association on paper is that. It's an association of restaurant owners. And that's you like you join like it's like it's a, a country club. You pay dues every year. And I am not a member of the National Restaurant Association. Never have been. Um, and restaurant owners is kind of a catch all because you can be McDonald's and be a member of the National Restaurant Association. What they have are they have member partners like the people who make the value-added products, the people who are like, try out this new French fry, the people who are like, here's a fully automated um, broken already. Like, it shows up broken ice cream machine for McDonald's. Like, yeah. things like that. They, and that's you're absolutely right. That's what the shows are for. The trade shows are for innovations in the industry, um, new processes. Like, when whenever there's a new uh, point-of-sale computer daily that'll show up at an nra conference and you're not wrong that like who do they serve and who are they servants to is tricky but you're right the money also does get funneled directly into lobbying against what i would consider to be the basis of the restaurant industry's best interest which is yeah all of our wage level employees yeah. They lobby hard. They were lobbying against uh, student loan forgiveness. Yep. How the fuck? Stay in your lane, National Restaurant Association. What do you have to do with that unless your goal is to keep people in debt, keep people desperate, and keep their wages low? Yeah. Ah, drives me nuts. And I guess I didn't think about it, but I guess like any organization, if you're having a conference and there's a trade show, anyone can pay the fee to have a table yeah. there and set up. So you just need to be selling something you think the members are going to want or the people that are going to be there are going to well, want. So my, my company, we have not a trade show, but we have a conference every 18 months. And the next one I'm going to is in Nashville, which is awesome because I'm going to go to Jack's Barbecue because I love Jack's Barbecue. It's right there on the main drag. I saw a fight almost happen in one the last time I was there. It was awesome. <laughs> and... When we are at that conference, we also have vendors that show up. We have a, 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 a an equipment vendor that we're required to use for anything that they carry. So if I need to get a new Roboku or I need to get a new immersion blender or I need new saute pans or whatever, I'm required to go through this company unless they don't carry it, in which case I can source from elsewhere. Uh, and they do show up with lots and lots of stuff where I'm like, this is not what I want to see at all. But that's the association that my company and this company have. It doesn't necessarily reflect what we on the ground need and that's, yeah, because yeah. We're, we're servicing a lot of different communities. So I think it's that same thing. I think the NRA show is like the spaghetti test, right? They're throwing all kind of different vendors right. at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. While isn't, in the background they're lobbying against raising the minimum wage. Isn't the uh, isn't the RoboCoup when the Flippy takes over the government? <laughs> yes. January 6th next year, all of the Burger <laughs> Flippy robots are going to go uh, storm the Capitol. They'll probably do a better job than all of those redneck morons who did it a couple years ago. 
Yeah. Who are still claiming that they are political prisoners. Like, no, you're just a regular prisoner because you broke the law. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Uh, anything else to say about our apparently very badly researched <laughs> PTO discussion? <laughs> um, no, no. All right. So let's finish up with something very flippant, but probably super dangerous. Steve, do you ever run up against something where you're like, ah, this feels like it should be illegal, but it's totally not illegal? <laughs> um, y- yes. I can't think of a good one now, but um, I because I know what you're talking about. But uh, uh, yeah, those I things are out there. Just found out in the last couple of weeks, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, if you go to Chef Ben Randall on Instagram, you can track this whole thing. It's insane to me. You can buy a little non-powered device and little empty capsules, and you can make your own pills, and you can put what ever you want in there <laughs> whatever you want if it'll fit you can put it in this in a pill uh i'm still i've done it and i'm still kind of shocked that i am allowed as a citizen of this country to manufacture my own pills yeah now there is a difference however between <laughs> pills and pharmaceuticals fair i'm i'm playing it up because, again, ladies and gentlemen, we talked about this at the beginning of the episode. I've reached an age where I have to worry about taxes and dietary fiber. So, I am on a series of dietary fiber supplements because, actually, not Americans generally don't get enough fiber in their diets. And it turns out that when you do have enough fiber in your diet, it does make you feel better. So, right off the bat, that's all to the good. I have recently gotten way into dehydrating, but not for any sort of purpose. I'll just have stuff in my fridge and I'll be like, I'm gonna dry this shit out. And so I have, I've been saving all of my orange peels and I've been dehydrating those and powdering them. So I have all this orange powder. Don't know what I'm gonna do with it. And I have uh, been getting produce from Imperfect Foods and they subbed me beets for parsnips. Not a good sub, they're both root vegetables, but it's like, mm, those are different things. Yeah. My wife hates beets. So I made beet chips. I made dehydrated beet chips. I thought, well, let me give this a shot. They were not great. They weren't terrible. <laughs> I ate some of them. But boy, you really better like beets if you want to eat these things. <laughs> so I powdered them. And I didn't know what I was going to do with that either. And then I don't know why this popped into my head, but part of my brain is always kind of messing with me. I was like, I wonder if I can make my own fiber pills. So I just Googled make your own pills. Wow. Is it easy and cheap to get everything you need to make your own pills? <laughs> and so I did. My mix currently is that beet powder, turmeric, black pepper, and uh, chia seed and flax seed. So that's my my mix. And it was shockingly easy, like very dangerously. This is something that should not be allowed easy to do. A lot of work, but I, I, I now I guess I'm making drugs now. Like that's my that's my new hobby. <laughs> my wife gave me the craziest look I've seen on her face in a while, and she was like, "What's in those?" And I said, "Don't worry, it's not caffeine." I looked; that stuff's really expensive. Because <laughs> otherwise, if I can start making my own energy pills, oh man, watch out! Now, is there anything wrong with eating uh, ground coffee? Because in the I pill don't form, know. it's not going to get you're not going to taste it. And it's not going to get stuck in your teeth or anything. So. 
Okay, two things about that. First off, the very first comment I got on Instagram when I put pictures of the pills up was somebody said, is that just straight ground espresso? <laughs> and I said, no, but wow. Secondly, I wonder, ladies and gentlemen, do we have any coffee professionals in the audience right now? Because here's my question. What's left when you brew coffee in the grounds as far as like active ingredients go? What's left in there? Because I could save my coffee grounds dehydrate them, powder them, and put them into that pill as well. But I don't want to do it if there's no benefit to it. Obviously, that would be non-soluble dietary fiber as well. But I don't know the answer to that. I could look it up. But also, let's be clear, coffee makes you poop. Do I want a dietary fiber capsule that also does that? Because that <laughs> sounds like you would take four of them and then immediately go to the... Like, you'd almost have to take it... You'd have to take them in the bathroom. <laughs> that would be a very quick procedure. Well, suppository, and you've killed two birds with one stone. <laughs> right. So the pills that I got are the zero size, which are pretty big. There's double zero and triple zero, which are smaller, and then there are ones that are bigger. And I'm just like, what are you? Are you putting like a, a mozzarella stick inside of this thing? Like some of those pills are really big, but uh, these are at the high end of what I can easily take. You know, uh, <laughs> have I noticed? a marked difference because I put the beet powder in there because it's good for your blood. It's a cardio, like it, not cardio, but uh, helps you produce more blood. It's got a lot of iron in there and that sort of thing. Turmeric is good for lowering your blood pressure and it's especially activated by black pepper, which is why turmeric and black pepper are a classic combination in Indian curry. Like that's medicinal herbs right there, spices. And then the flax and the chia seed, that's just straight dietary fiber. So that's why I made that mix. I thought, well, I could just do straight fiber, but that feels like I'm missing an opportunity. Have I noticed a huge difference? Do I have superpowers now? No. Have I gotten violently ill? Also, no, right? Like, so I feel like this is a net gain, you know? <laughs> and I didn't, aside from the, it only cost me 30 bucks for the device itself and like 300 sets of these pills. That's a net win for me because fiber pills are not cheap, you know? Right. And uh, now I get to be that extremely weird dude who makes his own pills. I was going to set up in the basement because it felt more thematically appropriate, but I am set up in the walk-in pantry to do that in my house. Wild time, Steve. <laughs> See, I didn't know if these were stock photos you sent me or if they were yours, but I thought I recognized your jar um, yeah. as something that would be yours. So I was like, I bet this is his setup. Um, yeah. That is, uh, that is too funny. And I took all of them to work, and I don't have any here at the house. I do have the mix, so I could make. I'm probably going to make some more this weekend to have some to keep here at the house as well. Uh, it feels like the possibilities are endless, and I wonder. And I want to throw this out to the uh, listeners again: in the weeds, wbr at gmail.com. Chef Ben Randall on Instagram. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, wbr.com. What should I put in these pills? <laughs> if I'm making my own pills, I have no – so I'm kind of annoyingly healthy for how uh, slovenly I am and how badly I eat all the time. I should be in perfect health, but I don't really have any pressing health issues. I'm kind of just like middle of the road, okay healthy. My, my blood pressure is pretty good. I'm probably – 20 pounds heavier than I want to be, which I could fix, but I don't really, like, need to. Like, you know that feeling where you're just like, I'm comfy. That's where <laughs> I am. So I don't have anything I need to diagnose necessarily or or treat, 
But ladies and gentlemen, what should I make? Because the other thing I found out, holy smokes, the links off of the website where I bought my capsule filling machine were all for like bulk supplement stuff to put in pills. You can get anything. You can get anything you want. It's totally unregulated. The only regulation happens like if I were to start selling them. Then I would go right to jail. But I can just make, like, I could give anybody I wanted homemade pills. I can just give them to them. No consequences whatsoever. But if I try to sell them, I'm in trouble. I, I tell you what, I know what project I see coming once the purple tomato is actually available for uh... Ooh. lycopene pills. Yeah. I mean, do I get into botanicals? Do I start growing medicinal herbs and stuff? I don't know. It's weird. It is, the the thing that I was going to say, and I, I already know why this this wouldn't work, but um, because of the size and everything, I want you to try to make your own myconikes. Um, but because that's liquid, huh. I think it would dissolve the uh, yeah the pill casing. So I don't I don't think that's how myconikes are myconikes are made. But they're about that size, right? Yeah, for no good reason. These are a shade smaller than that, but you're in the right ballpark. For no good reason, I opted to get the vegan capsules because the other ones, I didn't recognize what they were made out of. Uh, but you're right. It's like a, a plant-derived gelatin kind of sheet that's spun into a cylinder and whatever. Uh, but they are very temperature and humidity sensitive. So the ones that I have now, I actually probably should fill them soon so that they don't just glom all together in the bag and I'll have to make new ones. But they were also sent with a uh, desiccant pouch thing that as that absorbs moisture, it changes color. And then you can put it in the oven for a certain amount of time and dry that thing back out and put it back in the bag with the pills. So I'll have to do that on the regular. Nice. And then so hey, the more pills you get, the more of those pouches you'll have and you'll be able to keep stuff extra dry. True true and the thing is is like because my wife asked me to move the freezer in the lab in the the walk-in pantry uh i was able to take that as an opportunity to change some things around and i set my dehydrator up like front and center when you first walk into that room and so i've just been using it more right and uh yeah like i i don't know it makes me like i i am not sad at all that i'm in pretty good health but if i did have something that i could treat by making my own homemade pills and be like that super weird guy who makes his own pills and like cured his gout right or something like that that could be kind of cool but luckily i guess i don't really have anything that i need to treat i'm not gonna like my <laughs> eyesight's not gonna get better i'm not gonna make carrot dehydrated carrot pills or anything <laughs> so weird well good <laughs> they do. Uh, I think they. I think they look more like ground up uh, chocolate than they do coffee. Yeah. But I guess coffee's. I mean, because it's a little light. But I guess coffee. That's the same color as coffee. But if I could. So what I really want to do, in a serious sense, ladies and gentlemen, what I really want to do is decrease the amount of waste we're producing in this house. And I'm going about it the wrong way because we already compost most of the food waste that we have or it goes to the chickens so that's unfortunately that's my expertise and that's where i'm looking so like i'm looking at orange peels which normally we would compost and i'm like how do i use them for something else this these beets we could totally compost we could give them to the chickens how do i use those for something else i should be decreasing like our plastic waste and our cardboard waste and stuff like that but that's not my world my world is food and so i'm like well i'll dehydrate these things i'll pickle these things i'll put these things in jars and that's not not helping, right? But it's it's certainly not having the big change that I that I want to get out of our new house. And 
it's a good place to start, but obviously, like, that's my comfort zone, to take food waste and say, what can I do with this in another way? Yeah. Hey, I, I, you're good at. I bought, well, right, so, like, I bought mushrooms. I bought button mushrooms, um, baby portobello mushrooms, and shiitake mushrooms, and I bought them specifically because they were all three on sale. I have no dried mushrooms in the house, which I t generally use for, like, if I'm braising a piece of meat or something like this, I'll just throw some mushrooms in there with it, some dried mushrooms. Dried mushrooms are wickedly expensive. And so I bought fresh ones because the price had come down enough that I was like, I'm going to buy these, I'm going to take them home and dehydrate them. And when I did that, I had the shiitake stems. And I was like, huh. So I trimmed off the dirt part at the bottom, and I dehydrated those by themselves, and then ground them into a powder. So now I have mushroom powder. What am I going to do with that? I don't know. And they're not <laughs> what they call functional mushrooms. It's not like lion's mane or cordyceps or any of these things that are like good for your brain function or whatever. This is shiitake stem powder what can i use that for i don't know i'm gonna try to bulk out a sauce with it at some point make like a marchand de vin or if i'm having a steak or something i'll maybe i could use it to do like a i wonder if you could do a mushroom seasoning for a steak do mushrooms mushroom powder and pepper and uh salt rub that on the outside of a steak that ought to be good right i, I don't know. How, how strong is a shiitake flavor so i made the mistake of like licking my finger and sticking it in the powder and trying it and it was really fucking strong like okay. wow but i wouldn't just eat a shiitake mushroom stem because it is really fibrous and tough but having dehydrated it and powdered it doesn't matter um because my my first thought was well you know they do all those uh flavors on pizza crust i don't know if a mushroom flavored Ooh. pizza crust would be good or not but well and of course my brain immediately goes to i'll make a sourdough that's got mushroom powder in it and do like a roasted garlic mushroom sourdough sounds good to me would everybody love that probably not <laughs> you know <laughs> i made so i took some of the orange powder and i made a sourdough that had green olives that were stuffed with garlic uh shaved parmesan and this orange powder in the sourdough it was okay it wasn't the worst bread i've ever had it wasn't the best bread i've ever had but it occurred to me that's better as a focaccia just based on what that bread does if that was a flat focaccia pizza with all of those things, it would have been amazing. As a sourdough, it was okay. So, like, I'm learning as I go, which is nice to know that I've been in this industry for 30 years, and I'm learning stuff as I go right now. That I love that. That's my favorite. Okay, so as long as we're kind of talking about bread, that reminded me of uh, bread experiments at the Cadwell House. So <laughs> I I finally tried the, uh, the honey wheat recipe since you were so kind to send me yeah, some yeah, yeah. wheat. I need to do it again because um, the stuff that I made did not rise. Um, okay. And so instead of baking two bricks, which <laughs> is what I could have done, I just flattened them out and we made um, honey wheat uh, tortillas. Okay. Uh, I don't know. They were flat. They weren't pita because, you know, they didn't do what pitas do. Sure. But they were, you know, they were just flat because they were not going to rise at all and we ate them we used them they were good um we i forget we made a sandwich with them once and we did you know some other things so we did we, we were able to eat it so I, I don't think i needed it enough um initially i was using the stand mixer and um i was trying to interpret the signs of the bread and uh i i i was reading the bread leaves incorrectly <laughs> and uh, um, I think I, I pulled it out of the mixer a little too early and um, or I had too much flour. I don't know. There was some some of the alchemy was off sure. and uh, it didn't rise. So so that happened. I need to try that again. 
But then recently, I was like, okay, I was like, okay, it's time to do another bread thing. I was like, okay, well, do we do the bread again or do we do something else? And we decided to actually make pitas. So we made oh, nice. our own pitas, which was great because that meant that Kayla was like, you know, you just made some pitas. I should make the buffalo chicken dip. And Ooh. so that, uh, yeah, so that happened. I was like, I need, I need to make pitas more often. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> that means that Kayla will make her buffalo chicken dip. So we successfully made pitas um, using the pizza stone in the in the oven and not the cast iron skillet i feel like i could use the cast iron skillet on our glass stovetop if we're doing something like that right yeah um it's not gonna hurt just to sit on the burner no yeah uh, i just don't want to smack it down onto the glass top right right i mean <laughs> you don't want to smack anything down on the glass right. stovetop but yeah cast iron for sure um but i don't so i don't know maybe we'll try the cast iron next time and see if that does any uh better or any differently because it was very good pita but not all of them separated as much as we wanted them to when we went to try to make a uh, a pita a pocket yeah a pita pocket um so anyway that's that's been the bread experiments up uh this way if you ever find yourself lacking chicken but you're up on cauliflower my lead cook introduced me and i'm way behind the ball on this one but i had never had this buffalo cauliflower shockingly good oh yeah especially if it's like you know what you're used to is like Essentially nuggets, but what the 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 masses call boneless wings. It's a fucking nugget. Uh, as as a buffalo thing, that but roasted cauliflower, slightly sweeter, definitely softer. Uh, very very good. Um, that also reminds me. So we didn't. I didn't actually send you this. But speaking of, um, some guy in Chicago is suing Buffalo Wild Wings because he says. Um, the uh, boneless wings aren't actually uh, wings. They're nuggets. <laughs> I, not only... So he's not wrong. They've always yeah. been nuggets. You're a child. Yes. Well, so I guess on Twitter, um, Buffalo Wild Wings kind of clap back. Um, I mean, they're still being sued by this guy, but they yeah. clap back and they're like, um, congratulations. There's also no ham in our hamburgers. There's no <laughs> buffalo in our buffalo wings. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so uh, they weren't really having any of it, but um, yeah, so that's also uh, that that happened this last week. Someone uh, on on the uh, uh, stupid food lawsuit tip that was the one of the past couple weeks. Is this one of these uh, professional food litigators who are like, I'm suing you because your minty chocolate chip cookies don't have any mint in them? Uh, I'm sure it's yeah, it's the same type of thing for sure. I don't know if he's a a pro in that regard or not, but um, um. Yeah, it's it's that type of garbage. Wow. Well, now that we've actually gotten all the way around to talking about food, I'm starving. It's 1040 <laughs> in the morning, my time, and I've actually not had anything to eat today except for two cups of delicious coffee. Don't get me wrong. And uh, this conversation. So I am going to need to. Oh, no, I had I had some uh, French toast this morning. Apparently, that was not enough for me. So <laughs> I need to go have some real food. Steve, anything we missed? Anything you want to cover before we wrap up? Oh, no, I think we're good for now. All right, so this is, for once, this is probably the first time ever, this will be the third time I mentioned this. Um, if you have a uh, uh, pill you want me to make, <laughs> I cannot <laughs> charge you for it. Uh, or if you have labor law issues, if you're 14 and listening to this show, first off, you have terrible parents. Uh, <laughs> but if you have a job in a meatpacking plant, we want to know how that's going for you in Iowa or Sarah Huckabee Sanders' really far-right A-state. Best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds wbr at gmail.com. 
My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group if you look up In the Weeds with Ben Randall. And Steve runs a website for us. In the Weeds, WBR.com. Where you'll find everything we talk about in a deeper dive sense. The Steve's getting all of the stuff that we're like, wait, where'd their article go? It's all on the website. <laughs> it's all right there for you to look into uh, and see that we're we're not misquoting on purpose. We do paraphrase <laughs> sometimes, but for the most part, we uh, we he he keeps all of that the archive of the things that we talk about in greater detail on that website, which I think has a link to my Instagram as well. Yes, but I don't recall. There is. Okay, sweet. So my stomach is telling me that's enough for today, Steve. For in the weeds with Ben Randall, I'm Ben Randall, and I'm Stephen Cadwell. We'll talk at you next week. Bye bye. Ooh, we may not. Next week is next weekend is my wife's birthday. Oh yes, that is correct. I'll let you know. We're doing a thing okay. for her on Saturday, so Sunday I might still be available, but I don't know. Okay. We'll see. We'll see how wild the festivities get. <laughs> she is turning 45. There's a limited amount of wild we can do these days. <laughs> don't tell anybody I said that, even though I'm totally leaving this in. 